That is a beautiful song, a, a very appropriate song for our sermon this morning. So I invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Look with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. The book of Psalms, chapter 90. We'll begin reading. Actually, we're going to begin reading with verse 1 and look at the whole chapter. Book of Psalms, chapter 90. We'll begin reading with verse 1. While you're turning there, let me remind you that this coming Wednesday night will be our, prayer, our business meeting during prayer time. Uh, we announced it last week that this Wednesday night will be our prayer, meet, uh, prayer meeting, will be our business meeting. And I say that just to, for you to be aware. So to fulfill our Constitution, uh, last Wednesday we made a motion to suspend till this Wednesday night. So just mark that on your calendar. Uh, prayer, during our prayer meeting will be our business meeting. The book of Psalms, chapter 90. We're in a series about stewardship. I do it every January, talking about stewardship and what we are to do with what God has given to us. And most people, when they hear stewardship, they think of money. In fact, that's all they think about. But it's more than money. It's really everything, especially what we're going to be talking about today. Today's topic is crucial if you're going to be a good steward. Book of Psalms, chapter 90. And this is a psalm actually from Moses. Listen to what he says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. And toward the evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury, and we have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days. That we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, but how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll take this text that we just read and apply it to our lives. That, Father, we may all be good stewards, especially of our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1974, Harry Chapman released the song, The Cats in the Cradle. And I want to sing it for you this morning. Most people know the song. It was very popular in the 70s, but a few years ago, they talked about it. it's still popular today because most people remember the song. 
It's a song about a, a man who really doesn't have time to play with his son. The birth of the son comes, and the man is busy, and it says in the song, but there are planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it, and he, as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the next scene takes place 10 years, and the son wants to play ball with his father, and the father's still busy, and he couldn't do it. And the son says in the song, that's okay. And as he walked away, and he smiled, and he said, you know I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. But by the end of the song, the man is retired, and he wants to spend time with his son. So he calls his son to come over to spend some time with him, but the son is too busy to come over to be with his dad. And the last words of the song, my boy grew up just like me. That song was popular in the 70s. Like I said, a few years ago, they they talked about it. It's still popular today, but here's the rest of the story. Harry Chapman didn't write the song. His wife did. His wife, Sandy, wrote the song after the birth of their son, Josh. When their son was seven years old, Sandy pulled Harry aside and said, you know, you're on the road a lot. And by that time, he was performing about 200 concerts around the United States, really around the world. And Sandy said, when are you going to take some time to be with your son? And Harry promised at the end of that year, he was going to spend time with his son, Josh. That was the summer truck hit his car and killed him his song had become a prophecy he went around the world singing a song about spend time with your children but he didn't spend time with his son while he was singing the song time we forget our time is fleeting here. We, we forget how fast time is. We, we forget there are really no guarantees in this life. And yet we're still slaves to time. In the 1970s, less than 10% of Americans even owned a clock. And today, we have clocks everywhere. We have them on our wrists. We have them on our phones. We have them in our cars. We have them in our, our, on our computers. Everywhere we go, there's a clock reminding us of time. And yet we still don't have enough time. We are looking at our day saying, where has the day gone? It's amazing. We don't have enough time to do what we need to do. I hope you understand this this morning. Time is life. It really is. You you can run out of money. You still got time. You, You can run out of energy. You still have time. You can run out of friends. You still have time. But if you run out of time, that's it. I mean, you can always get more money, but you can't get more time. And you can always get more energy, but you can't get more time. You can always get more friends, but you cannot get more time. Once it's over, it's gone. We cannot create more times. We only have a certain number of days on this planet, and that's it. Now, I know we don't want to think about that, but I hope you understand the reality of it. When you spend the time you have on this planet, that's it as far as this world goes. So really, time management is life management. How you view time is how you view life. How you manage your time is how you're going to manage your life. 
So this morning, let me, first of all, let me give you two very quick lessons about time management. Two very quick lessons about time management. The first is simple. Time management is an act of stewardship. Time management is an act of stewardship. Remember what stewardship is? Stewardship is just managing what God has given to us. Everything that we have comes from the hand of God, and we are to manage it. Again, we always think about money, which is part of it, but it also includes our time. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, 24, verse I quote every morning, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a reminder, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day that God has given to me. This is a gift from God. This day is a God's creation for us. It is his gift, and we need to take advantage of this gift. We are accountable for this gift. This is the day God has given to us, and therefore, it is a matter of stewardship. Second lesson, time management can be learned. Time management can be learned. You say, how do you know that? Well, that's what the Bible says. Did you notice what he said in verse 12 of chapter 90? Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. If the Bible says God teaches something, that means that we can learn something. Here is Moses saying to God, Lord, teach us to number our days, to take advantage of our days, to take advantage of the the gift that you have given to us. So God, if you're going to, to teach us something, we can learn something. And it begins by understanding the value of time. That's what he's saying. Lord, teach us to number our days. Let us understand the value of it. Time is valuable. To realize the value of one year, ask a student who failed a grade. You want to understand the value of one month? Talk to a mother who gave birth to a premature baby. You want to know the value of an hour? Talk to a businessman whose flight was delayed by one hour and he missed out on the deal of a lifetime. You want to know the, time, the value of one minute? Talk to the man who has a heart attack in a restaurant and it just so happened an EMT was sitting next to him, gave him CPR and saved his life. You want to know the value of a second? Ask a person who barely missed a head-on collision with a car. You want to know the value of a millisecond? Talk to an Olympic swimmer who missed qualifying by six-tenths of a second. All of time is valuable, and we need to understand that we can learn how to use it. Now, when it comes to time, most Americans ask one question. What time is it? That seems like the only question we ask about time. But there are some better questions we can ask. For example, what am I doing with my time? That's a great question. What am I doing with my time? Or or even a better question, how am I investing my time? Or even a better question, who's in my calendar? Who's in my calendar? You see, someone's controlling your time. Every person here, someone is controlling your time. Who is it? It may be you, maybe someone else. All your decisions is based on who's controlling your calendar. So this morning, I want to talk about time management, life management. And really, I want to give, give you four questions everyone needs to ask about time. Four questions everyone needs to ask about time. Question number one, what is God's perspective on time? What is God's perspective on time? You see, good stewards always look at their gift from the perspective of the person giving. Therefore, we are to look at our gifts from the perspective of God. So how does God look at our time? 
Well, that's what this psalm is all about. It's a psalm from Moses. I hope most, most of you know about Moses. Moses was found as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was reared as an Egyptian prince. Later, he discovered that he was actually Jewish, and the Jews were slaves, and he wanted to rescue his people. And so one day, he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Jewish slave. They found out about that, and they exiled him. So for 40 years, he was being reared as an Egyptian uh, prince, and then for the next 40 years, he was on the backside of the desert, and no one knew who he was. For 40 years, he had ambition. For 40 years, he had this great education. He had a purpose in his life. And in the next 40 years, it seemed as if he had no purpose in life. Maybe he began to even doubt things of God. Then God calls him. When he was 80 years of age, God calls him to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. So for 40 years... Nothing was happening, and he's thinking, God, you're you're silent. But God was working in his life during those 40 years. He was preparing him for his mission. And so in chapter 90, he's reflecting all this. 40 years as a prince, 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the desert, and then God used him in an incredible way when God was ready. So how does God look at time? Well, Moses tells us in in verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been in our dwelling place in all the generations. He said, Lord, that's the name of God. God, you're an awesome God. You're the most powerful being in the universe. He said, you have been our dwelling place. In other words, we are connected to you. Everything we have comes from you, God. Verse 2, he said, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, and even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He said, God, you're our creator. God, you created us. You created the world. And not only that, You have no beginning and you have no ending. Time means nothing to you, God, because you created time. Verse 3, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. Moses says, one day we're all going to die. Listen, I hope that doesn't offend you. It's just the truth. All of us are going to face death. We're all going to return to the dust. And Moses says, God understands this. God created us. We, it's, you know, we're frail and we're weak, but God is still sovereign. Verse 4, he says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. He says, God, your timing is different. A thousand years to you is like a day. And then he said, oh, really, it's like three hours. That, that was a watch in the night. You know why he keeps changing it? Because time means nothing to God. God created time. He's outside of time. It's kind of like the, the story of the man's praying. He says, Lord, what is, what is a million years to you, Lord? And God says, it's like a second. And he said, Lord, well, what is a million dollars to you? Well, it's like a, like a penny. He said, Lord, can you give me a penny? And God said, in a second. <laughs> time is different. So, if a thousand years to God is just like a day, or like three hours, what is our life to God? If we live to be a hundred, that's a blink of an eye. Our lives are faster than a blink of God, and yet He cares for us. Look at verse 6. In the morning, 
He's talking about flowers. He's talking about the grass in verse 5. He said, in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. He said, life is like the grass. It's here one day and then it's gone the next. Now, please understand, Moses is not saying your life doesn't matter. He's saying the opposite. He says, life is fragile, but life is important. He is saying that life is so brief and so quick We need to be in God's will to make every second count. We don't have time to figure out everything. Life is too quick to do that. We need to just be in God's will. Time is brief. Job was a man who suffered probably more than any person in the Old Testament. Job says in Job 7 verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Or Job 9.25, he says, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee and they see no good. Job looks at his life. He says, life is just too fast. Or Peter writing in 2 Peter, he, he says, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day, but yet the Lord does not delay in his promise. Time is fast, and yet God is outside of time. You realize time is fast. But for some of you, it seems faster. As you get older, it seems time is getting faster. Any witnesses out there? Okay. Now, there are reasons for it. Actually, there are scientific reasons for this. As you get older, time seems to be faster. One theory is called uh, uh, proportional time. I love this theory. The theory is that we perceive time in the proportion of our lives. So a five-year-old, a year, is 20% of their existence. So it seems a long time. And so it's hard to wait for Christmas when it's 20% of your existence. But if you're 62, well, a year is now only 2% of your time. And so it just seems faster and faster. And so the theory goes, as you get older, time gets more of a perception of proportion. That's why it seems faster. Another theory is called the complex time. It says as you get older, life becomes more complex. You get busier and busier, and there are more things you have to do every day, and because of that, it just seems to go faster. Another one is called routine time. It says as you get older, your life is full of routine with predictable tasks. You know what you're going to do tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and there's almost no uh, uh, intellectual stimulation, and so life just seems fast. But one of my favorite theories to think about is called the tense time theory. The tense time theory says we perceive time based on the tense we live in, past, present, or future. Now, think about this. Children live in the future tense. They're always looking forward to something else. They're looking forward to their birthday. They're looking forward to Christmas. They're looking forward to play with their new toy. They're looking forward to play with their puppy. They're looking forward to something. They're looking forward to the school holidays. They're looking forward to the summer. They're looking forward to play baseball or basketball, upward, whatever it may be. They're always looking forward to something. It never comes. And and teenagers the same way. They're looking forward to becoming 18, then to become 21. They're looking forward to getting a job. They're looking forward to getting a car. They're looking forward to move away from home. And then then you have uh, parents that they're looking forward to having children. And then they're looking forward for their children to get older. And then they're looking forward for their children to move out of the house. But there comes an age you don't think about the future. You think about the past. Think about the good old days. You think about the way it used to be. 
Your conversation is all about the past, and because you don't look to the future, according to the theory, because you talk about the past so much, time goes fast because you're not looking forward to anything. You don't look forward to your birthday. You don't even admit you have a birthday. You don't look forward to Christmas. You don't look forward to anything. You just look to the past. Whatever the case, the Bible says time is fast, and all of us looks at it differently, but it's fast. And so we need to understand what is God's perspective of time. Here's what God's perspective of time is. I've given you a certain amount of time here, and it's fast. Take advantage of it. Second question is, what is my purpose with my time? What is my purpose with my time? You see, the, the, the key to successful time management is to understand your purpose. If you don't understand your purpose, you're going to be terrible at time management. The better I know my purpose, the more I can use my time wisely. What, what Mark read a few moments ago in Ephesians from Paul, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. He uses a shopping term there. The idea is making the best use of your time, getting the best bargain. It's the person who goes to the marketplace. They understand what they're looking for. They understand everything about the product. They're looking for the best choice. Paul says you need to have a purpose in your time management so you can understand your purpose. Now, what is our purpose? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, I can tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to glorify God and serve him. That's what it is. The Bible says we are to glorify God and serve Him. And so every day we are to seek out to glorify God and to serve Him as being a good steward. And that's why Moses says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days. And then he says that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to understand time management in order that we may give you a heart of wisdom, that we may return to you what you've given to us. That's purpose. Third, you've got to know what, what is my priority with my time. What is my priority with my time? You know, priority just means which thing's the most important to do. What is your number one priority? Well, if you don't know your purpose, you don't know your priority. Once you know your purpose, then you understand your priority. And if our purpose is to live for God and be good stewards, then our priorities should reflect that. Again, the psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 14, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Lord, help us that we every day spend time with you. You're our priority. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's first. Your priority is to spend time with God. If you know your purpose, you'll know your priority. I know you've heard this before. Imagine there's a bank out there that every day they put in your account $86,400, and you would all be rushing to that bank right now. But at the end of the day, you, they, they take away what you don't spend. Every day you get $86,400, and at the end of the day, what you don't spend, they take away. How would you spend the $86,400? Well, I promise you, we would be very careful. We would know our priority. We would spend it quickly but wisely to use it, to take advantage of it. Well, God has given to us time in a bank. Every morning, God gives to us 86,400 seconds, and we're accountable, and at the end of the day, we lose it. We can't put it to the next day. We've got to be careful. We need to know what our priority is, and our priority is to serve God. So, in other words, our priority is what? Is to relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus. Our second priority is with people. 
I, I tell people all the time, if you don't know your priority, spend time with the people that are going to visit you in the nursing home. Seriously. Think about who, when I get old, who's going to visit me? Our children, our friends. Spend time with people. Fourth question. What is my plan with my time? What is my plan with my time? You can't plan your time if you don't know your priority. You don't, can't know your priority without knowing your purpose. It's impossible. Remember what I said the first sermon of the series? If you're going to be a good steward, you, it's got to involve planning. No one is a good steward apart from planning. No one tithes apart from planning. No one spends good time management without planning. Solomon writes in Proverbs 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who hastily comes only to poverty. He says, plan it out. You will never use your time wisely without planning. It's impossible. Know your priority. For example, if my priority is to serve Jesus, then I, will take, I need a plan to take care of my body to serve him. That's physical. If my priority is to serve Jesus, then my, my plan is to take care of my body. So what's your plan? Do you have an exercise plan? You're going to walk five minutes a day or run five miles a day? Do you have a plan? Well, plan to eat. What do you plan to your meals? Do you, do you have a plan to go to the doctor, to go to the dentist, go to the eye doctor? Do you have a plan? If my priority is to serve Jesus, then I, I plan to take care of my mind intellectually. So what's your plan? Do you have a plan for learning? Do you have a plan for reading or listening to podcasts or, or, or books on tape? Do you have a plan to learn new skills? No, people always ask me, how do you read so much? I, I'll tell you, it's simple. I plan to read. I can tell you tomorrow when I, I'll be reading. It's on my calendar. If my priority is to serve Jesus, then I need to take care of my relationship with others. That's social. So I need to have a plan to spend time with the family. I need to have a plan to spend time with friends, to build new relationships. Nurture old relationships. Because if you don't nurture relationships, they will shrivel and die. If my priority is to serve Jesus, then, then I need to have a plan to keep my relationship with God strong. So, that, so think about this. Right now, do you know tomorrow when you're going to read the Bible? Do you know tomorrow how you're going to read the Bible? Is it going to be one verse a day, one chapter a day, four chapters a day? Is your plan to read through the Bible the whole year? What is your plan? What is your plan about praying? Do you have a plan to pray? Do you have a prayer list? Do you have a prayer journal? What is your relationship with God? Do you have a plan next Sunday? Do you plan to be back here? Do you have a plan to join a life group? What is your plan? If you know your priority, then you should know your plan, and then you need to work it out. And by the way, they say that if you plan your days, you can almost add two extra hours to your day. I love what Zig Ziglar once said. Zig Ziglar said, if you do what you ought to do when you ought to do it, then you can do what you want when you want to do it. There's some truth to that. So who's in your calendar? What's your plan? What's your priority? What's your purpose? Do you know what won ESPN worst sporting event in the 20th century? They gave a list of the top 10 worst sporting events of the 20th century. But here's number one. Happened in December of 1973. The Tennessee Vols playing the Temple Owls. Now we knew once we heard it was the worst sporting event of the 20th century, we knew Tennessee was part of it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
Actually, it wasn't Tennessee's fault. It was Temple's fault. The score of that game, Tennessee 11, Temple 6 for the entire basketball game. What happened? Well, Don Casey was the coach of the Owls, and, and he later coached the Clippers and the Nets and the NBA. Well, he said the only way we could beat Tennessee was to hold the ball for them not to shoot. Now, this is before the shot clock. And so that is their strategy. So they took two guys and put them out of the 28-foot line, standing five feet apart and passing the ball one to another. And Tennessee didn't want to break their zone defense to, to go after them. And so that went on. Temple held the ball for 32 out of 40 minutes. For 29 minutes, neither team took a shot other than free throws. At halftime, the score was 7 to 5. Tennessee was leading. In the second half, Tennessee never even attempted a shot from the field. And Temple's long shot came from a foul shot with one second left in the game. In the second half, no one shot the ball other than a foul shot. And Tennessee won the game 11 to 6. The crowd booed most of the game. They had to call in state troopers to come to protect the Temple team after the game. They had to put security around the hotel where Temple was staying. People wanted a refund. They almost had a riot there. But what happened? Well, the strategy was this. Let's do nothing. That's the strategy. Let's just run out the clock. Let's not take a risk. Let's not make a mistake. And wishing something good might happen. Oh, they had a strategy. The strategy was to do nothing. And that's a terrible strategy in sports, but it's a worse strategy in life. Because there are some people, all they're doing is trying to run out the clock. They're taking God's gift to them. And they don't have a plan to achieve anything. They're just waiting. They're not going to take a risk. They don't want to make a mistake. They're hoping something good might happen in their life. And while they're waiting and wishing, time is running out. And God never created us to run the clock out. God never gave us this gift. He created us to be different. He created us to make a difference. He created us to make a difference in the world for Jesus. He created us so that we could make a difference in other people's lives for eternity's sake. He created us so that we would give him glory and serve him. But to do that, you got to step out of your comfort zone. And so God has given to all of us this brief time on this planet before eternity. And what we do on this brief time determines where we spend eternity and what we'll do in eternity. So this morning, will you take advantage of this gift that God has given to you right now, this gift of time and this moment? For some of you, you need to take advantage of this time by giving your life to Christ because one day you're going to stand before God and God's going to ask you, what did you do with my son Jesus? And if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, then for eternity for you, it's called hell. But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, eternity for you, we call heaven. We make that decision today. By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself, I have messed up. 
And by believing that Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago for you, that he died and was buried on the third day arose. And by confessing, saying, Lord, I give you everything. I give you everything to you. Will you do that today? For those of you online, if you made that decision, if you would just text us the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But for those of us who are here, if you need to make that decision today, in a few seconds we're going to be singing and just come to the front and talk to one of the ministers or after the service go to the Connection Center and talk to one of the ministers. But let today be the day. God has given you this gift today to make that decision. Or maybe it's another decision for you to make. Maybe it's the decision to join this church. Say, I, I'm ready to invest my life. I'm ready to grow as a Christian. I, I need to get involved in a church. I need to get involved in a life group. Or maybe God has put something else in your life, some other thing he's calling you to do. Whatever it may be, take advantage of this moment to be a good steward. Would you stand and bow your heads? Father, you have given to us this moment. In reality, we may not have another moment like this. So let us take advantage of it. Father, for that person who's trying to decide about giving their life to you, Father, show them that now's the time. Now's the day. Now's the time of salvation. No more hesitation. No more holding back. Because, Father, remind them that life is fleeting and they don't even know if they'll have another opportunity. Father, that person trying to decide about joining this church, Father, show them today's the day to get involved in the family of God, to make a difference in the world. Or, Father, maybe some other decision privately or publicly someone needs to make. Father, you've given to us this moment as a gift. Please let us take advantage of it. And, Father, we will give you the glory and give you the credit. In Jesus' name, amen.